morning. There we go. Hi, I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And as you heard Scott talk about, uh, there's a mission team in Mexico. John is actually on, our senior pastor John is actually on that mission trip this morning. And so I'm going to be continuing on in our message from last week, which was entitled Becoming Holy Like God. As a matter of fact, inside your bulletin, you're going to find an insert with an outline on it entitled Becoming Holy Like God, Part 2. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. On the top of that outline, you're going to see two definitions for the word holy. The first definition states this, that holy means to be saintly, godly, morally upright. And last week, John spent the message defining what that meant and how that applied to our lives. And if you didn't get the opportunity to uh, see that message, I want to encourage you to go back online and watch it. I think you'll greatly be encouraged. This morning, I'm going to continue on by looking at the definition, the second definition, which is belonging to God to be set apart for God's purposes. Anything that belongs to God and is set apart for God is considered holy. Um, The temple is considered holy. The Sabbath day is considered holy. The tithe is considered holy because those things belong to God and they're used for his purposes. Priests were considered holy because they belonged to God and they were created for his purposes. Well, because we are Christians and because we have given our lives to Jesus, we belong to God and we are considered holy. Listen to what Second, uh, First Peter 2.9 says in the King James Version. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I love this version of this scripture because it talks about how not only are we a chosen people, are we a holy nation, that we're um, a, a priest, a kingdom of priests, but we are a peculiar people. And what I've come to find out is that there are some Christians that are more peculiar than others. Would you agree with me? And the truth of the matter is, is that the word doesn't even actually mean strange. It actually means to be different, to be set apart, to belong to God. Listen to how the New Living Translation puts this, ver- this scripture. It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Because we belong to Jesus, we are holy people because we belong to a holy God. And this morning, we're going to take a look at what that means in our life. How does it mean? What does it mean to be a holy people? So before we get started in that, I want to have a word of prayer. We're going to jump right into today's message. Will you pray with me? Father, I just want to come before you this morning and thank you, Lord God, that you call us your own. That, Lord God, that we have been bought with a very high price. We belong to you. Therefore, we are holy. This morning, Lord God, as we take a look at your word, I pray that, Lord God, that you would teach us what that means and what that looks like in our everyday life. So, Father, I pray that you would speak through your scriptures and move me out of the way and have your way in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we start talking about being a holy people, I want you to go ahead and write this on your outline. It's didn't put it there, but a holy people, let me give you a definition of that. It's a people set apart for God and for his purposes. Holy people means a holy people that are set apart for God and for his purposes. So I'm going to be using the term holy people a lot in this message. I want you to understand what I'm talking about. Point A on your outline says, as holy people, 
We do not belong to the world nor ourselves. We belong to God. We belong to God. We don't belong to this world. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He says, if you belong to the world, I would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. When I gave my life to Jesus, when you gave, if you've given your life to Jesus, our citizenship has changed from this world to heaven. I am now a citizen of heaven and I am an ambassador or a representative of heaven here upon the earth. And here's a life application for us in that. It's what Paul told the Romans. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. An ambassador is under the authority of what every country he represents, not the country in which he lives in. I want to say that again. An ambassador is under the authority of whatever country he represents, not what country he lives in. If someone is an ambassador of the United States and lives in another country, they are still under the rule and law of the United States, not the country in which they live in. That means there are things that that people can do in that country that they can't do. There are things in that country they can do that other people can't. It's because they are a representative and an ambassador of this country. And, you know, I had the opportunity um, to have my dad, when I was about 13, year old, 13 years old, explain this to me. I had a bunch of friends who were going over to someone's house to watch a movie. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I want to go over and watch this movie with my friends. Can I go? And my dad asked me, well, what are they watching and what's it rated? And so I told him the name of the movie and I said, and it's rated R. Yeah. And my dad knew the movie and he knew what it was about. And he said, son, you can't go over there and watch that movie with them. And like a 13-year-old, I begin to throw a fit. But dad, even my good friend Chris, his dad is letting him go over there and watch that movie. And my dad sat me down and he told me, son, you don't belong to Chris's family. You belong to this family. And there are some standards that we have put in place and... Because you are a part of this family, there are some ways I'm going to ask you to live and some rules I'm going to ask you to live by that others will not have to live by. And then he began to tell me, because we are Christians and because we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, there are things, there are things that people will be able to do as I grow up, that things that, that no one will see as wrong, but that you will no longer be able to participate in. And it's because you have a higher calling. Because you have a higher purpose. And he began to explain to me, and I can't tell you what I am so thankful that he explained that to me. It helped me understand why certain people could go out and party and do certain things. And as a Christian, I wasn't obligated to do that. See, we don't belong to this world. And we don't have to do everything the world says that we need to do. Because we don't belong to it. We belong to God. But not only do we belong to God, we don't, and we don't belong to this world, we don't even belong to ourselves. Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God has bought you with a high price, so you must, you must honor God with your body. 
We don't even belong to ourselves. And here's a life application for us. What Paul told the Romans. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you ought to do it. I mean, think about it. Just because I have a desire and an ability and an opportunity to do something doesn't mean that it might be right for me. Let me give you an example. Just because I desire to eat chocolate cake at every single meal doesn't mean that it would be good for me, does it? No. Well, why? I mean, I have a desire to. Well, you do realize that we live in a society that says if it feels good, do it. If it's not going to hurt anybody, what does it matter? Go ahead and do it. The truth of the matter is that if you, you can think that way, as, unless you really truly believe that you belong to God and that you're God's holy temple, and wherever you go, God goes. Whatever you see, God sees. See, we are people who don't belong to ourselves we belong to God, and therefore, just because our sinful nature says it's okay to, uh, uh, that we have sexual desires, it's okay to fulfill that any way we want to. Just because we have a desire to be worldly doesn't mean that we have the obligation to do that. A couple years ago, my son wanted to a um, pet, and so instead of getting him a dog, we got him some guinea pigs. And his responsibility every Sunday afternoon was to clean out that guinea pig cage. And so he would take all the shavings out and clean it all out. And the first thing he would do is that he would take a newspaper like this, and he would put that newspaper at the bottom of that guinea pig cage. And this is paper is just simply paper with writing on it. That's all a newspaper is, by the way. It's just paper with print on it. And he would use this, and this was kind of become like guinea pig toilet paper, I guess. I mean, something like that. And no, one, you don't have a problem with me doing that, do you? No one has a problem with me doing that. But if you would have come over to my house on a Sunday afternoon, and all of a sudden my son was cleaning out that guinea pig, guinea pig cage, and I pulled out my Bible, and I began to rip out these pages of this Bible to put at the bottom of that cage, <gasps> some of you would say, what are you doing? I mean, you know, all this is is just paper with print on it. All this is is paper with print on it. What's the difference? The difference is this is a holy book. This is a holy Bible. It's God's word. It's set apart for a purpose. It's meant for more than just being the bottom of a guinea pig cage. So many times in our lives as Christians, we think that we can be used for whatever the world says we can be used for. And we forget that we're set apart, that we're holy, that we're different, that God has called us to something higher, to a higher purpose, to a higher meaning in life. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to the world. Here's what 1 John 4, 4 says. You belong to God, my dear children. Now, last week's message, John talked about the difference of, of positional holiness and practical holiness. Positional holiness means that I belong to God. And because I belong to God, I am holy. And when I have a relationship with God the Father, God the Father has a relationship through me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sees me as perfect as Jesus is. That's my position. I'm holy. 
Practical holiness is the walking out or the sanctification process of becoming like Jesus, becoming morally perfect like he was, and it's a process. But because I belong to God, because I know I'm created for a higher purpose, my desire is to become like him, and it's our responsibility. It's a great responsibility to be a Christian. It comes with a, with a high cost, with a high price. And listen to what life application in this is. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified, him, crucified them there. Paul goes on to explain this process of sanctification in Ephesians. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Or anger will give a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hand for good, hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember... He has identified you as his own. I want you to underline that. God has identified you as his own. And this is the reason why. Because he's identified as his own, remember that you should not bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead... Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Because we belong to God, we desire to be like God. And Paul told the Ephesians this. He said, it's your responsibility to throw off your old sinful nature. It's your responsibility to get rid of anger. It's your responsibility to work hard and not be lazy. It's your responsibility to tell the truth. It's your responsibility to be sexually pure. It's your responsibility to throw off all those things of your former life and to begin to walk and to become like Christ. Now, that's really, really hard work. And it's a process. And it's hard. But here's the good news, okay? you can write this down. God will help us in this process. With God's help, we can. He will give us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. You have a problem with anger. Tell God, God, I want to stop getting angry at every situation. Help me throw off that anger, that attitude in my heart. God, I have a problem with my mouth. I have a problem with abusive language. God, help me stop using words that I know don't honor you. God will help us 
in that. So we've got to understand that, that God has a greater desire for us than we have for ourselves. That we're set apart for a purpose, for a task. When I was a, in high school, I had the opportunity of playing football uh, for a very well-known coach in the state of Texas. And I remember it was the end of a school year, and he gathered all the players that we play in on varsity football that year, and he put us in a room, and he told us, he said, listen, he said, it is a privilege to get to play for this team. It's a privilege to get to play for me. He said, but with that comes great responsibility. He said, this summer, your friends are going to be able to go out and go party and go chase girls, sit on the couch, eat as much uh, chips as they want to, get lazy and get fat. You can't. Because you have a task to prepare for. He said, next fall, if you will dedicate yourself to the task at hand and be purposeful about what and work hard and, and, and keep yourself uh, from being lazy, he said, next fall, at the end of the season, on the last game, we will play for the district championship. So I promise you, that year, last game of the season, we played for the district championship. And I know all of you are wondering, how did it turn out? We got beat really, really bad. <laughs> but we played for the district championship. And that summer, I worked really, really hard. I was at the gym almost every day, um, working out, running, keeping in shape. Because he understood that if we would stay in shape, that we'd be that much far ahead of everybody else when the season came along. We had a task. We had something in front of us, something to do. And we had to do it. And it kept us focused and away from things that other people could do. And here's a note on your outline. Our actions prove whether or not we belong to God. That summer, my actions proved that I wanted to be on that team. My actions proved that I was dedicated to the team. Guys, our actions prove to the world that we belong to God and that we have a task and a purpose in our life. Listen to what 1 John 3, 7 and 8 says. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Here's what Jesus said. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Our actions speak volumes to the world that we belong to God. And it's not, I want you to understand something. It's not just what we don't do. You could be here this morning thinking, man, he's just talking about we should not do this, we should not do that, we should not do that. It's not just what we don't do, it's what we do. It's how we live our lives. A good tree produces good fruit. Listen to what Galatians says. I didn't put this on your outline, but listen to what Galatians says. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. We are a peculiar people. We're a different people. 
And the way we treat others should be different. We should be the kindest, most loving, most self-controlled people with the most joy that the world has ever seen. Have you ever met somebody that was like that? I mean, they were just full of peace, full of joy. They were kind. And you knew right off the bat that they had a real relationship with God. Those are the type of people that God has called us to be. Our actions should always speak to the fact that we, we belong to a holy God. If you flip your outline over, it says this. This is what should never be said of us. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Now, you've been listening to me talk about this higher purpose that we're called to as Christians. And because we have this task at hand that we should keep ourselves from the things of the world and we should give our, things, uh, or give our lives to the things of God. Point B on your outline states that as holy people, we have three purposes. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. God has things for us to do. And Christians throughout all the world agree on the three purposes that I'm about to explain to you this morning. That this is what the life of a Christian looks like and what we're set apart for. Number one, to love God and to be loved by God. You're set apart to be loved by God and to love God. Now, beside that, you can put have a relationship with God. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, Even... Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their guide, and they will be my people. You'll find this statement in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, all throughout the Bible. It's the central theme of the Bible is that God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. God has always desired to have a relationship with the people that would choose him for themselves. God desires a relationship with us. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, this is how he replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, Christians all around the world agree this is one of the purposes of the Christian life, is to love God. Here's the question I have for us this morning. What does that look like in your life? What does having a relationship with God look like in your life? I can tell you what it looks like in my life. For me, it goes back to a scripture that I love. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says this. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in all of your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. And the relationship with me, the way I have a relationship with God is that I invite him into every area of my life. I have no difference between my saint, my, 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 my godly life and my worldly life. They're combined. I invite God into 
my workplace. I invite God into my activities. That's how I have, and I try to talk to him and communicate with him all the time. To acknowledge someone just to, is to recognize that they're there. That's how I have a relationship with God. But what does a relationship with God look like in your life? I have three, I have three uh, kids. And I have a great relationship with all three of my kids. And none of those relationships look the same. They all look different. My relationship with God is going to look different than your relationship with God. But what does a relationship with God look like in your life this week? We're called to have a relationship with him. Point two says this, not only are we called to have a relationship with God, we are called to love one another. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We're called to love God and we're called to love other people. Paul gave us an example or gave us a definition of what love should look like. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. We're called to love one another. And love looks like something. Love is not only an attitude of the heart. Love is, is action. It's love in action. What does that look like in your life this week? What does it look like to love your family? What does it look like to love your coworkers? To love the people that you are in contact with? Because to say, yes, I know that we're called to love people, but what does that actually look like in our lives? Is a question that we have to wrestle with. This week, I got to see a great example of this. It was Tuesday morning. We were going to have our staff meeting, and uh, John came in, and Chris, our youth pastor, which is at camp this week, they both came in and said, we're going to be a little late to the meeting because we're going to go help this guy that has broke down on the side of the interstate in a really, really bad place. He said, so we're going to be late to our meeting, and we're going to go and help that person. Can I tell you that love almost always requires sacrifice? They were late to a meeting. Why? Because they were loving someone. Because they were putting someone else's needs in front of our own. God's word says that we are to look for ways to serve one another. What will that look like in your life this week? What will it look like? So we're called to love God. We're we're, we're called to love others. And the third thing we're called to do it was recalled to bring others into a right relationship with God. Second Corinthians 5 says this, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. When we speak for Christ, when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
before Jesus left this world, he said this. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As ambassadors of heaven, as ambassadors of Christ, God has given us the task and the responsibility to bring others into a right relationship with God. And it's like taking our hands and put it in heaven and holding God's hand and finding someone upon the earth that has never met him and reaching out and grabbing and pulling the two together and saying, here, I want you guys to meet. It's our responsibility. We're the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. A couple of weeks ago, John gave a message on the realities of hell. And one of the things we did at the end of that message is that many of us came up and we lit candles for people that we knew were not in a right relationship with God. And we begin to pray for those people and we begin to ask God to move on their behalf. What does it look like in our life this week to take the next step? To having meaningful conversation with that person, to love that person, to get involved in their life, to be concerned about them. What does that look like? Because it's one thing to know that we're called and we're set apart as a people of God to love Him and to love others and to bring others into a right relationship with Him. But if we're not busy about the task that He's called us to do, do our actions really prove to the world that we belong to Him? Guys, this is the foundation of the Christian faith. This is the meat. This is what we're called to do. And here's a note on your outline. Holy people live intentional lives. We are called to live intentional lives. If we know what we're called to do, then we need to be intentional about doing it. Here's what Ephesians 5, 15, 16 says. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 1 John 3, 18 says, Let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We have to look for opportunities to love other people and get involved in other people's lives. We need to be intentional. Inside your bulletin, you're going to find a brochure. And it's called Centerpoint Fellowship Church. It's our church brochure. And I want you to open that up. And I want you to take a look at the middle section of, of this. And I want you to see how important this is. It says, as a, as a church, and when I define the church, don't forget, we don't even have a building. So when I say church, I'm talking about all of us in this room. Okay? As a church, here's our purpose, to center lives on Christ. Here's our mission, to help people love God and love others. To help others love God and love others. Here's here's our other mission, to carry the good news into the world, to make disciples of all men. I want you to understand that as a church, we are set apart. As individuals, you're set apart, but as a church, we're set apart for the purposes of God, and we need to live our lives in such a way that we understand that. I wish I could just yell this out as loud as I can. (laughs) We were created for more. 
Stop living like the world. Stop trying to fit in. Realize that you are a peculiar people, that you're different, that you're not like the world, that you're not even part of this world, that you don't belong to the world, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God, and because we belong to God, we ought to act like we belong to God. We ought to stop dilly-dallying around and get busy doing what He's called us to do in the task at hand and be intentional about doing it. We have a word of prayer with me? Father, I just... uh, Thank you so much that, Lord God, that you have called us your people. But, Lord God, that's, with that, it comes great privileges, but it also comes great responsibility. Father, I pray that we would get busy about doing what you've called us to do. And that, Lord God, that we would no longer sit on the sidelines and wait for someone else to do it. You haven't called other people to do it. You've called us to do it. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that You haven't called us to do it on our own, but Lord God, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to help us with the task of becoming like you and the task and the purposes that you've called us to. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you empower us and you give us the strength and you give us the courage to actually take action on what we know is true. So Father, I pray that you would help us. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.